Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, Xander, I've been, I've been just totally, well, Mrs. Reconsider over here has been much more so, but we've been totally all out prepping for Thanksgiving. I'm going a little crazy because my whole family is coming. Um, not, I'm, I'm very excited to see them, of course, but uh, we've just been going crazy with prep and we've cleaned a lot of stuff and, you know, we're preparing um, recipes and everything so we can cook stuff. And I just, I, I want to share a song with you that, that was going through my head as we were preparing for a sweet potato casserole. Um, you know, of course, Handel's Hallelujah, right? Of course. And it was just starting out like sweet potato, sweet potato, sweet potato. But then I get this like really genius moment because I kept going and Sharon was looking at me. And I said, um, I, I had this moment where I looked at her dead in the eye. I was like, sweet of sweets, potato, potato, sweet potato, sweet potato, and spot of spuds. And and she lost it at that point and dropped whatever she was holding. Nothing broke, but that's the kind of night it is. And I'm taking a break to podcast with you, dear listeners, to help you prepare for Thanksgiving. I'll be sure to relay the story to all of my singer friends that go caroling every year. You know, it's yeah, exactly. never too late to do a new spin on a classic oldie. So hi, everyone. Welcome again to Reconsider, where we don't do the thinking for you, a member of the Agora Podcast Network. Today, we're going to talk about something that is invariably on everyone's mind right now this week. If you're in the United States. If you're everyone's mind in the whole world in the United States. Yes. It's a great day for Canada and therefore the world. <laughs> and, and that is, of course, Thanksgiving. Uh Everyone is sitting down in several days with members of their extended family, Ugh. huddled around some delicious food and worried about some less delicious conversation. Ugh. Can I use delicious as an adjective for conversation? I don't think I can. You just did, so you can get away with it. So today we are here with your emergency break turkey poll reconsider emergency Thanksgiving preparation to make sure that the holiday is not only more enjoyable. Yeah. Everyone knows how to be, or at least knows how to think about being civil, but, but actually much more productive and useful from the political angle as well. Before we dive in to the meat and gravy, see what I did there. Ooh, I'm, I'm here all episode. <laughs> no, <laughs> before we dig into the Thanksgiving emergency show, just want to do a quick recap Eric and I, two weeks ago now, were at the Sound Education Conference. Oh, yeah. 
at Harvard University. It was it was an extraordinary affair. Really, a a wonderful collection of people from all over the world put together, and the event was put together and managed by Zachary Davis and Doug Metzger, and they just did like a killer job at it. Really, indeed, my favorite part was Zach was asking Dan Carlin a bunch of questions on stage. And of course, all of us were there going, and at some point he reads out a listener question. I forget what the question was. And Dan leans back. He goes, oh, I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that. And Zach looks him dead in the eye and goes, let's never stop you before. (laughs) And the audience lost it. It was amazing. Dan Carlin lost it. That was a good moment. It was. Uh, so thanks to everyone. We we had the the great pleasure to meet at the conference, and uh, yeah, I the thanks to Zach Davis and Doug Metzger for pointing it on. We're hoping to go next year. Well, I, we will have videos. Eric and I both gave talks. They will be up, I believe, sometime in the beginning of the new year. Yeah. There's professional recordings, but they're being processed right now. We have a video of Dan Carlin ask, answering Eric and my questions in tandem, which is really quite exciting as well. We'll see if we can put that up on the website at some point. And then the other thing to note is that we met a lot of great new podcaster friends. And so there's going to be a lot more collaborations coming up in the near future. Get excited for that. Last thing to note from the conference, and then we'll jump in, is that we finally, finally got to meet Ben Jacobs of Wittenberg to Westphalia who is even more delightful in person than he is in podcasting, which I think is true of everyone because people actually listen when they're not podcasting. And so you're like, oh, you're a real human. But Ben is a super smart guy. And he, of course, is the host of Wittenberg to Westphalia, which is this month's Agora Podcast of the Month, which is, I love it. It's a killer podcast about the wars of the Reformation and ultimately the rise of modern Europe. For you history buffs out there, it is an absolute must listen. And for those of you looking on some context about why Europe looks the way it does, I don't know, might want to go there. Definitely check out Wittenberg to Westphalia. I'm a fan. I guess, Eric, last housekeeping, maybe also related to the conference, recent surge and some Patreon oh, patrons. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for those out there who have uh, decided to give to the show. We appreciate it. Right now, all of our the money we raise is essentially going to marketing. So appreciate your help with that. And if you've been getting a lot from these episodes and don't want to go the Patreon route, that's totally cool. We'd greatly appreciate a review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps us move up in those podcast rankings and get reconsider out there to more folks. So very soon now you will be sitting down for dinner with your family. And, you know, if your Thanksgiving tends to turn into fighting and you don't want it to, we're here to help. And what we're not going to do is sit here and tell you to be civil. I am frankly tired of hearing that uh, because, look, everyone has, has heard it and you're either on board or you're not. And so we're not going to tell you to be civil. We're not even necessarily going to tell you how to be civil. But before we tell you some techniques that are going to be helpful, one thing that you need to think about, probably the first thing you need to think about going into Thanksgiving is what have been the patterns of previous Thanksgivings? Yeah, we talked about this in sort of a broader context on a prior show about political violence in history and mm-hmm. what some of the outcomes of that were. And the trigger was really this this story that I was picking up. I forget exactly how many months ago it was now about punching Nazis and whether or not it's okay to employ political violence in a circumstance like this. And we wanted to ask, okay, when, 
has it worked or has it worked at all and how has it worked? So in a slightly different setting, your Thanksgiving dinner, clearly political violence, not quite as applicable, but you can still ask, how has prior interaction with these people that I know I'm going to see again, right. who I know I disagree with, how is that actually, has it actually done anything? How, what difference has that made? Have they voted differently as a result of a conversation that I had? Have they changed their minds? Oh, they didn't. That's right. Because no. it's so often that they don't. And so what we're going to challenge you to do going into Thanksgiving is to take responsibility for your behavior by thinking ahead of time about what do I want and how do I get it, which sounds simple. And yet most people don't really do that processing. They just kind of shoot from the hip. Really, they're acting out of, you know, a position of just emotional frustration. And so typically, you know, we circle back to the civility thing here. Again, I'm not going to tell anyone to be civil, but the people when I when someone says, ah, yes, civility that's, you know, that that's bad because of X and I'm going to choose, you know, because it's like what the other side wants and it's how they win or something. And I say, well, what are you going to do in lieu of being civil? And I know a few communists. So they go like, ah, yes, like overthrow the order with violence and murder people. And you're like, OK, well, I guess you're a communist. But everyone else who's like not ready to go murdering yet. The, the answers I tend to get are like some form of immature venting of their frustration and anger, right? They say, oh, instead of being civil, I'm going to punch a Nazi. Instead of being civil, I'm going to go scream at someone that, that I disagree with. And, you know, ultimately, there's, there's very little evidence that, that any of this is going to enact even microscopic political change. In fact, it's you know, a lot of the stuff is like that have the opposite effect, as we talked about in that political violence episode. So the thing I want you to think about is, is I don't want to tell you to be civil for the sake of being civil. What we want to ask you to do is think about, based on the patterns of the past, how has my behavior or the behavior of others towards me or towards others at the table affected or not affected someone's political positions? And if I've not got the result I want, should I keep doing it? Or, or should I try something different? So then the question ultimately becomes, Eric, what, what is your goal at Thanksgiving dinner? And I mean, in a way, I feel like the answer should just be enjoy your family's company. But life's more complicated than that, right? If you know you're encountering this person that you fought with before, what sorts of goals can you even set in terms of outcomes for a dinner? Yeah, I guess you've got, you've got two options. It's either to try to like have an apolitical dinner where everyone just enjoys stuff or or make some meaningful progress. And, you know, for those who want to have an apolitical dinner, some people just won't, you know, some, you know, I, I'm sure there are some people listening to this are like, look, Eric and Xander, I'm not trying to go change the world or go change a family member in this dinner. I just don't want them to fight. Right. I just don't like don't want to listen to. I'm just going to keep it generic. Like my relative rant about whatever, because they always rant about whatever. And in those cases, the thing like ultimately to do is one, if you have a relationship, like just agree ahead of time, like, Hey, can we not talk about politics? And like, typically they will, they will like understand that and listen if they're a really terrible person and like say like, I don't care about 
Thanksgiving, you know, about like the family getting along or enjoying themselves, like I'm just going to yell, then then like you've got a kind of a different problem on your hands than politics. But then like the other the other thing to do is like, look, people talk about politics because it's like interesting and top of mind and emotional for them. And what you can do if you want to have a dinner that doesn't involve politics is like strategically replace it with something else. So, for example, there's a lot of football that day. And even if you don't know football, you can do that IT crowd thing and just talk about football even if you don't know or like football. Eric, what's the IT crowd thing? Okay, have you well, do you know the do you know the show The IT Crowd from England? No, no, what what, oh, what is it? Okay, it's it's actually a really funny sitcom about these three people in IT, like int- you know, information technology at at a like big corporation, and they like work in the basement and two of them are turbo nerds that don't have any social skills and they decide they're going to like go out to the pub and they want to like hang out with some regular blokes because it's England. So they're, they're called blokes rather than people, you know, that's, that's what they are. And they actually have this new cool app that just like puppets a, a phrase about football, which in soccer for us American folks, but it puppets some phrase about football that will like start a conversation so what'll happen is like one of them listens to it. It goes, did you see that ridiculous performance by Arsenal last night? Then they like go to the pub and they say, did you see that ridiculous performance by Arsenal last night? And then immediately all of the got, you know, of the blokes at the pub become their friends. And then it turns out that they've gotten themselves into like a terrible drug cartel by mistake. Um, and it ends, <laughs> ends terribly, but like you can just like get people talking about football and then like lean back and, and enjoy the, the harmonious arguing about various football teams, which our, our family will do because we can't, none of us can agree on a football team to root for. In all seriousness, if you want to do the IT crowd thing and just get people talking about football, you can, you can use any of the following three. So you can write them down if you're not driving. I'm taking notes. Go, I'm go dead on. serious. So one, you got, I'm, and I'm, I swear, I want someone to write this in and tell me whether it worked because it's going to work. So you can say one, boy, Monday's game really was the game of the year. For context, that's the Rams versus the Chiefs, arguably the best two teams in the league, even though the best team in the league is really the Saints. But the Rams versus the Chiefs, boy, Monday's game really was the game of the year. You don't even have to know how it turned out. Just a great game. Two, so hey, are they finally going to fire Mike McCarthy? He's the coach of the Green Bay Packers. He's made some bad decisions lately. Fans are starting to get annoyed. Let the, let the crowd talk about it. So two, so hey, are they finally going to fire Mike McCarthy? And then finally three, with Alex Smith out for the season, who the heck is going to climb to the top of the steaming heap that is the <laughs> NFC East? So Alex Smith is the quarterback for the Redskins, and he just shattered his leg. It's really tragic. The Redskins were at the top of this division. Now, who knows what's going to happen? Anyone else could get up there. It's not a great division this year. So, you know, people will argue about that. So, again, with Alex Smith out for the season, who the heck is going to climb to the top of the steaming heap? That is the NFC East. Use any of those three, maybe all three. And you, if, if you, you know, if you are in a football family at all, they will spend hours talking about it. You're welcome. Okay. So that's one approach. That is the A politics focus on football approach. But there are going to be circumstances where you need to talk to your family about some things. And, you know, sometimes the your family is a really good place to start, right? As, as compared to just sort of like going on the internet and, and starting a heated Facebook conversation that doesn't go anywhere. So um, like if you have an LGBT family member or a friend 
that comes to dinner, you know, sometimes just meeting someone from that community and, you know, if it comes up in conversation as a result, like people are like, Oh, I just met someone who I thought was awful and they're really pretty chill. And that, that can change minds a lot of times. So we definitely want to leave space for circumstances like that because, you know, it takes courage sometimes to be not from one clan and be willing to go meet them. And sometimes you can get positive outcomes for that. Now, barring that circumstance, let's say you just, you know, you're going to run into someone at dinner that none of these situations apply to, to, they are going to stray from sports to politics and there's just no way you're going to be able to avoid it. And they always take the direct opposite tack to you on whatever your most important uh, closely held belief is. And it's just inevitable. And everyone else at the dinner table is going to dread it, right? Well, we can think about long-term versus short-term in situations like this. We've talked about this before on Reconsider and you know, other writers on interpersonal relations have too. It's not like we're the only people talking about this, about how important it is to be on good terms with someone if you're ever going to hope to change their mind. There's a lot of empirical research showing that this is the case. Most people, or at least many people, don't change their minds based on quote-unquote, convincing rational arguments. And this goes for both sides of the aisle, by the way, if we're still categorizing all beliefs as two sides of an aisle. But people will change their minds because they trust someone first. And once they know that someone is a good person or at least a reputable person, that acts as a sort of prerequisite to taking anything that they say more seriously. So on one hand, maybe you're already as close to your family as you're going to get, and this sort of thing isn't going to make a difference. On the other, most people like to think that they're being listened to and taken seriously. And sometimes all it takes for them to soften their edge a little bit is to know that someone's listening to them, taking them at least somewhat seriously, and not trying to confront them publicly, right? Now, that said, at some point, you're just going to have a moral imperative to impose certain things. People think this, and I I think moral imperatives can exist. I mean, it's a philosophical argument. We can go on and on about it for a long time, but there are times when I do think you just need to speak out about issues no matter what or when the circumstance, no matter how uncomfortable. Right, and and I don't think you're taking a particularly controversial statement here because the alternative to what you just described, even if someone doesn't like the term moral imperative, the alternative to what you described is that there is no point in doing anything ever. So why bother? Right. And so you're saying like, sometimes you should bother. Well, I mean, that that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. I, I guess I would, I would caveat that a little bit by saying that I think you can be, let's say politically or socially active in one way and not feel it necessary to bring it up at a particular dinner. Sure. Yes. Yes. But there are issues where you have to bring it up every single time, no matter what, because it is the only moral thing. to do. I see. OK, that yes, it can be true that there are hills you must always die on is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, OK, even if even if you, ch- you generally choose your battles more specifically, they can exist. Yeah. Alamo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if it's true that moral imperatives can exist that require you to speak out about a topic um, whenever the opportunity arises, no matter what, then the question becomes where you draw your lines and where you establish your thresholds for moral imperatives like this. How do you how do you go about getting a sense of that? Does scale or degree matter? Can you look for historical historical examples to maybe give you a sense of how bad a situation is compared to prior times and what the outcomes were from prior times? 
Or is it just a circumstance where injustice is injustice, no matter the time, it must be opposed always? And if this is your position, then you have to start asking the question of practicality versus dogmatism, because what happens if someone else has the exact same degree of belief in the righteousness of their position, but it it diametrically opposes yours? So there are there are outcomes to having that that position as well. Yes, I think historically we would see that progress tends to come in fits and spurts, and and like bit by bit over time, rather than all at once. And that that may be like a useful thing to keep in mind, especially at Thanksgiving, when you have a few hours and you're not going to get someone to flip something that they've been entrenched into for years in hours. You know, what we're not going to do in this episode is like repeat all the stuff that we've talked about with Wedged, other than just a reminder that people are attached to their tribal identity about their politics much more than they are about their positions. A good, a good recent example I brought up in, in my talk at Sound Education was that in 2012, Romney was running on a platform of having many more immigrants come in through H-1Bs and much more free trade. And this was opposed by the Democrats, right? The, the sort of smear against Romney was that he was letting corporations find cheaper labor to hurt American workers. And now the two parties have basically flipped, right? The, the Democrats are this one saying trade deals and multilateral deals are good, more immigrants are good, and, and the Republicans are saying, no, we want fewer of, of both of these. And, and like both sides have flipped. I don't know if anyone but me noticed, but, <laughs> but like people are just as entrenched about it, right? Just on the complete opposite issue. And I think this is like the secret, right? Like once you realize, once you see that, what happened for what it was, once you realize that, holy smokes, over four years, 300 million freaking people can just 100% 180 on something and and just be as pissed off about it as they were four years ago. You know, you start to realize like, yeah, it really is so much more about the trappings and the storytelling and the and like the identity that you have. And like, you know, do you couch this in America or do you couch it in, you know, economic injustice? Like whatever you whatever kind of story you tell around it, like is, is going to be a lot more important than the actual policy itself. So what if you could use that to your advantage rather than just lamenting it? And so let's say you decide to go for it. You've got a short amount of time to make some meaningful progress. And, you know, that meaningful progress is going to be a, a small little move. You know, you're not going to get someone to abandon their tribe, probably. You're probably going to get them to start thinking about something if you're really good, if you're really good. And we're going to link to the Reconsider Principles and the discussion strategies in order to help you with this, because you should go read them. You may not before Thanksgiving. but you know, if you want to, as we talked about before, if you want to go for it, have a goal. And if you really decide you're in, be strategic about it. So as Xander mentioned, first things first, let's not obliterate the relationship we have. Having a relationship gives you a substantial advantage to being able to change someone's mind that you don't have when you're talking to a random person or someone that hates you. Keep the relationship like cooking, because if you keep that, you always have another chance later. 
Like as long as this person like loves you and thinks you're reasonable and cares about you, you're always going to have another shot at it, you know, and presumably you don't want to make it unnecessarily difficult for family members that you care about as well. And as Xander mentioned, this once again raises the question of like true moral imperatives and whether it's okay to cause certain suffering in exchange for an attempt to mitigate that suffering elsewhere. But as long as you're making a strategic choice on this matter, and as long as you're thinking about like, hey, maintaining a relationship with someone is the best way for me to have more swings at changing their mind, then go for it. Decide what you're going to do. And and doing this is not easy, you know, and, and you can look for excuses and say, well, my racist cousin or my my kind of like crazy brother or sister or whatever, like they're they'll never listen. And if they'll truly never listen, then don't bother or, you know. I know, moral imperative thing aside, but like if they'll truly never listen, like keep that in mind and go like, okay, so what should I do? Should I just scream and shout? But if if like you're not just making yourself excuses, if like someone is capable of listening and changing their minds, then let's go for that measurable progress rather than a total flip. And let's see what we can do. So let's look at an actual example of a hot button issue and one way you could potentially approach this over a conversation and, and you know, signpost as you go along, so you kind of know where you are and where you need to go, whether you need to continue it or, or end it and what comes next. So going into this conversation, you know, as we know, we're, we're probably prioritizing keeping the relationship going. And we've got these steps that we can actually go through. And what all those steps kind of center around is this general strategy of when there's a hot button issue, you actually want to pull away from the hot button issue and dig down towards more and more crunchy things and less tribal wedged rhetoric and ask a lot of questions like a salesperson would to understand, you know, someone's declared shared values and then find a way to agree. That That's the general process is get someone to get into detail, get them to talk about what they really care about, find space to agree, and some magic will happen. So what are these signposts in the conversation that you can aim for? Well, there's it's really sort of like six stops along the way. The first is the hot button issue. The second would be finding an actual policy maybe that you're disagreeing on that's related to that hot button issue, so digging a little bit deeper. But then it would be looking for a sort of shared value and where you can find that despite the the actual policy discrepancy. And once you can find a shared value or two or three, you would ask if they're willing to come up with some sort of policy that you could both agree on based on that shared value, even if you disagreed on two pre-existing policies that are already out there. And then give them time to, to marinate afterwards. If, if it was a difficult conversation or if some progress was made, not everything needs to be agreed upon in one conversation. Progress is usually made in fits and starts. So that's a brief outline. We're going to go back and hit all of those six different points in a little bit of detail. Yeah. So you're either going to go in wanting to bring up a hot button issue or you're going to know that some family member is going to bring up a hot button issue. And if it's the latter, you've got to like be able to think on your feet. Right. And if you're not prepared to, you know, if you, if you don't know enough to be able to take them on with it, well, maybe you need to go learn more about it before you have such a, such a strong position. But this hot button issue is going to come up, which is why you're still listening to this, this podcast. And you know, it's, let's say it's border security, right? You, like someone's, you know, you could be screaming about the wall or about xenophobia or invasions, racism, open border mania, 
all that stuff, right? Like you start hearing those kinds of charged phrases. You know that you're in hot button territory and like someone is, is, you know, starting from their very comfortable, angry position of tribal warfare. So it's happened. Either you've brought the topic up or someone else. The next step would be looking for the actual policies that are behind each person's position. Because usually, and we've talked about this some, Eric, as you've mentioned on the issue of, of tribal rhetoric, a lot of the times, despite there appearing to be two very clear positions on an issue, it's actually far more nuanced. And the policy options, the the menu of policies at your disposal are actually mirrored. And people tend to have a better idea of what they mean in their own mind often than when they just use the rhetoric that has been generated by the, the prevailing narrative. So, okay, we've one is pro-border wall, the other is anti-border wall, right? But what issue are we talking about when we talk about the border wall? Let's, I mean, let's get specific here. Uh, is it the migrant asylum policy? Is it DACA? Is it a wall to prevent unauthorized access? Does it have to do with national security issues, either cartels or potential terrorists or, or jihadists escape, uh, coming across the border? I These are all individual specific questions that that you could ask. They're all actually different issues and there's a lot of nuance going on here. Once we get ourselves to agree on like, oh, this is the policy we're talking about today. It's border security or it's, you know, dealing with the the, the migrant caravan, right? This this like group of five thousand people that's that's kind of in Mexico right now. What we want to ask next is like, so what do we really want? Like what's the thing we really want for the country? And typically you're going to get some, some answer and like, guess what? It's not the real answer, right? Someone may say like, what I, what I really want is, is freedom for people. You're like, okay, but like, what do we really mean? Let's dig down further and just ask clarifying questions. Do you mean X? Do you mean Y? Or someone will say, you know, someone may say like, I don't want, you know, my, my value is I don't want illegal immigrants coming. Like, I don't want people coming to the country illegally, like without, without, you know, going through the the process like everyone else and you say, so what would that, if that were true, what would it mean? Like, what would it, what would it mean for the country? What would it get us? And, and they're going to give you another answer and you probably need to ask again. Like they might say like, oh, it's, it's going to affect, you know, employment in some way. It's like, okay, so what would that mean? And they'll really get down to something that's like much more fundamental about what they really care about. They may struggle a little bit and that's good. They're starting to think. And so just get them talking and, and get them to keep going. Eventually, eventually you're going to get to this like kind of core value that you're likely going to be able to frame in such a way that you might just agree on. Yeah, and I think Eric can make a good point, which is silence isn't always the opportunity to go for the kill. Sometimes it just means that real thinking is happening, and that's, that's okay. It takes, it takes time and energy to think about these things, and minds don't change instantaneously, right? Yeah, well, and I'm glad you brought that up too, because when someone is silent, if you see them struggling a bit and you go in for the kill, the wall comes right back up. Shink! Right. Yeah, exactly. The defenses pop back up. It's like, oh, this was a trap. This person's just coming to give me a hard time. Whereas if you're like really encouraging them and going like, man, that's like that's really interesting. Like we have learned something. We we've like gotten a little deeper here. They're going to keep going. They'll be encouraged and they'll they'll find themselves ambling towards this space that you can work with. So once you're working towards a shared value, it's actually really important to try to find a couple that you agree on. So agree on some shared value or two or three. And it's amazing what happens when you say, you know, I, I agree with that. 
I want people in this country to be safe from drug cartels or I agree with your policy. I agree that maybe soldiers should or shouldn't be sent to the border for border policing activities. Whatever your position is, finding that agreement usually feels really good. And once you're there, you know, you can get back to eating turkey. Boom. Pass the gravy. Boom. And this is where you've really turned the ship around where, my God, the moment you say you agree with someone, they don't know what to do with you anymore. They're going to be shocked. Now, someone may just go like, well, I was right all the time. And then you could say, well, I don't know if I agree with everything. Like, like I suspect, you know, I suspect there are like details we disagree with and you can kind of get them to keep talking about it. But like more than likely, you're going to see this moment of like, oh, okay, like this person is reasonable. Like I can like talk with them and work with them. And, and you know, again, their family, like they, they ultimately want, or most of them, right, ultimately want to like be able to like you and, and want to talk with you and hang out with you. And where you are right now is, I, I've talked about this before, what Brene Brown calls the wilderness, Right. And it's kind of frightening because you're like, oh, this is a person I've never agreed with before. And like, I'm talking about agreeing with them on anything. And I'm like, what's that going to mean for me? And you're no longer safe because the safety that we get from just screaming at each other is, is actually really comfortable because like, oh, this person's just a monster. And I have to disagree with them on everything because of how monstrous they are. And, and, you know, it lets me kind of paint this moral high ground of myself as infallible and and good and just and right against this person who is unjust and bad and wrong. And, you know, once you're in the wilderness here, you, you have to summon the courage to kind of stay in there with this person and, and keep going rather than retreat. But if you do, uh, the effects can be quite dazzling. So, okay, you're, you're past the point of wilderness. You find some sort of shared value. What's next? Well, if you started off by disagreeing about two different specific policies, but then went on to find a shared value, maybe now you can just brainstorm a little bit and see if there is some sort of policy that you could both come up that addresses that shared value that you just found. And, you know, just try it out. There's no points gained or lost here because it's just you two sharing ideas. And at this point, in a way, you've really already won because you've convinced the other side that you are reasonable and therefore maybe more people like you are also reasonable. And when your interlocutor thinks that you or, or where you're coming from is reasonable, they're, they're far more likely to walk away thinking. It's a really simple, really powerful thing. It's just when they start thinking, they go, huh, that, that noise like, huh, is, you know, in a sales context, that's the moment, you know, you've, you've potentially got a really good fit with someone and, and you should do business together. And same thing here is, you, you know, politically, you want to do business. We're going to get some deals done, right? We're going to, we're going to like make something that can work and you got to give them time to marinate. Again, same thing in sales. Like you go for the close too early, you're going to lose them. And so, you know, from here again, it's just a, it's just a first conversation. Good work. You didn't kill each other and you got them thinking in a different way about a policy. And if you can do that, then you've you struck this huge win where there's a highly increased chance that they're gonna like go back to their friends at like you know at the next you know when they're at the bar or cocktail hour or at work and go like you know I was thinking about this and and dot 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 and when they're doing it with their own friends that agree with them that's when you start to get a ripple effect of of real change now the scary part about the wilderness is you might find yourself thinking about some stuff differently as well 
you must be willing to do that, right? You must be willing to acknowledge internally that you like, you might not be infallibly perfect about everything and hundred percent correct about everything. And even if the other person is 0% correct about stuff, again, there aren't just two ways of thinking about something. So you may, you know, heaven forbid, both walk away having learned a little bit of something. So when Eric and I held the first annual ConsiderCon earlier this year in Boston, we had one part of the day that was a structured role play. In other, ways, in other words, we handed out some slips of paper with some sort of role for two different people, and then they had to engage in a conversation along a set of guidelines that we had talked about before. And, and the whole point was if you are actively trying to set a goal and reach a place that isn't simply confrontation, what sorts of progress can you make? And I think, frankly, it was the most successful part of the day. I think people really enjoyed that that experience. Yeah, it's actually kind of amazing because it's there's such convoluted examples and you always have people like, we, we specifically assigned people positions that they didn't agree with because, you know, we had them do some surveys at the beginning. It was like, oh, you identify as liberal. Well, guess what? You're now pro-wall. Go for it. And, and both sides that were on this, like walked away going like, huh, that was very enlightening. And that's a, that's a, again, a wilderness experience is a fun experience. And also one where, where, yeah, we, we, the other people watching them learn too. And so Xander and I are going to do a bit of a convoluted structured role play that we've like just spent 30 seconds prepping. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be a bit of an improv, but how are we saying this up Xander? I, oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the, the idea is I'm going to be the the uncle slash aunt slash family member that brings up politics even though like no matter what you're ha- he forces the political conversation on the evening and then eric's going to be the considerate he's going to ask some questions and go through this this process that we just outlined about going from the issue to the policy to the shared value brainstorming a new policy and then stepping back and letting it sit so that's that's the rules we've set up for ourselves let's do it eric isn't it just crazy that it's it's crazy that they're sending 5000 soldiers to the border for immigration i mean frankly it's crazy that the walls even there in the first place i mean why are we wasting our money on that but then mm. to send soldiers there i it's like the the entire military is being misused mm. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah, interesting. If it's okay, I want to like 
kind of learn more about where where you're coming from here. So you know we've got we've we you know we've got two things going on. It's like the wall and the military. But it sounds like it sounds like in general what you're frustrated with is just the the amount of like national resources, like in just terms of dollars being put into you know border security and and migration control. Yeah. Well, I mean it's both, right? Because on the one hand, the the military isn't is that's not their job. We have agencies for 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 policing the border and for doing and and to deploy the military. Yeah, I mean maybe maybe it's a little symbolic, but it's 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 using the military in a way and it's not meant to, and that has some sort of meaning. It says it says something about the state that it's willing to use the military this way. But then clearly, it's also about the misproportioning of funds, right? Because why do we need all of this extra presence on the border? It's the military. It's going to cost a ton of money. Anyways, it's just wasteful. And really, frankly, to me, it just seems like Trump's trying to build up a bunch of political points, take advantage of this caravan situation and prop them up and, and for 2020. Mm. I mean, one one place I'll agree with you immediately is that I think every politician is is going to, you know, is, is going to take advantage of a situation to their own political benefit if they can. And I happen, you know, I, I, there are a lot of other places where I'm sure you and I would like agree and disagree both that like that that's just being done all the time. And I don't like it any more than you do. But I happen to wonder like whether there's like what's the reasoning behind using the military at the border as, as you know, part of a temporary deployment, you know, because I think, you know, you brought up the caravan. What I'm wondering is like, hey, you know, the, the border, the border patrol you know, they've they've got like kind of a day to day job where they're like supposed to be watching over a certain, you know, a certain flow of, you know, one people who are who are not coming into the country through like the accepted means. And then two or the accepted, you know, uh, processes and methods. And, and then two, you know, of course, the drug cartels who are smuggling a lot of drugs into the country and, and bringing a lot of, you know, bringing crime, you know, that there are you know, like if we think of like MS-13 and such, like, you know, they kind of get through at this certain rate all the time and we want to minimize it, or or at least I think the goal is to minimize it. So my my thought is that the use of the military in a temporary deployment is just due to the sheer size of the caravan and like the number of people coming through. And, you know, I'm wondering what you think like about this difference of like this day-to-day operation of the border guard. And then like when there's a huge surge in number of people to, to like, you know, to, to one, make sure don't just run across that they actually like go to wherever these like kind of asylum places are. Um, and then two, you know, make sure that, that drug, you know, drug Lords can't like take advantage of, of the situation. Like I'm, I'm wondering like if, if we don't send the military. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 No, I got, I gotcha. But okay. So here's the thing, right? Like if there's 200,000 Goths on the border with Rome, you know, clearly you're going to need some additional resources. I'm with you there. I agree with that. It's a little different with Rome. They didn't have, you know, policing agencies to deal with that then. But, you know, maybe you would need some spare resources deployed in a pinch, and that would be in an emergency situation. So I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you on that. I guess the problem is that this just doesn't seem like one of those situations. It's you know, maybe a couple thousand people at most have been some of the estimates that I've seen. And the, the whole argument about drug cartels and, you know, the risk of jihadists coming across the, the you know, if it's a porous border. It, yeah, that exists. I mean, Mexico is extremely violent right now. Its homicide rate is it's either one of the highest or the highest that it's been in, in recent history, certainly, if not ever since recorded 
uh, since it was recorded. Um, so it's a problem. It's a problem along border states more than in other states. It just doesn't seem like the response has been proportional to the increase in risk, I guess is what I would say. But you have good points otherwise. I mean, those are things that we would need to consider. It sounds like where we like definitely agree is that, you know, I, ideally we'd be able to like go fix Mexico, but but I think like neither of us want to like get involved in foreign adventures. And so like if we're not going to get involved in foreign adventures, like, you know, I think we would both agree that one, we need to make sure that like we have some kind of resources deployed, like pr- probably probably with the capacity for violent force, given the power of the of the cartels, but also like I would also agree with you that we would want to use the kind of like minimum amount of money and force that is like reasonable for the situation, you know, because like as a, you know, as as a blue blooded Republican, I'll, I'll be the first to say like overuse of government funds just drives me up the wall, right? Like we we spend way too much already and I wouldn't want to spend like way more than we need to. But it sounds like we like we agree on both those points. Like there needs to be a, a security system and we would want to not spend more than is necessary on the security system. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Pass the gravy. Yeah. And, you know, what what I think we can do is is sit back and say, like, OK, like given, you know, I maybe some more like research is required from both of us because, you know, how effective is like how effective is the border agency right now and like what's the what's the flow of both like you know just just like you know illegal immigrants coming across the border like not through accepted channels but just like jumping over just jumping over the fence and running in and and hoping it works out like what's the flow of them and like what's the flow of like drug cartel stuff right now versus like you know how much does that spike with the caravan and therefore like you know do we you know so what's what's the flow how effective are we and and like that would give us a sense of like is the capacity of the border patrol right now is it sufficient or is it undermanned or is it overmanned right do we just have way too many or like you know, there's probably a lot of waste in there as well that we could find that's not effective but then like given all that you know how much extra resource would we need and where should it come from yeah i hear you and honestly i don't have the answers to those questions so maybe i would have to go do some more work yeah i don't know either i mean i i think we Yes, I think like when we get some numbers around this, it, it will become like much more clear what what's the appropriate amount of resource and and who should it be. Will you now pass the gravy? Oh yeah, sorry. Now I I've <laughs> there's a have you seen Hello Dolly? No, I haven't. Okay, I saw the one with Bernadette Peters, which was wonderful. She's amazing. Anyway, there's this there's this moment where it's like literally five minutes of silence of just her eating and all the cast watching her. And she thinks she's alone and she's like drinking from the gravy boat and then like looks back and realizes everyone's watching her and there's like gravy dribbling down her chin. That's what she made me think of. Anyway, so that's a role play. Yeah, that has a rough shot. Last thing we'll touch on on this episode is the idea of just approaching a situation with curiosity, right? Because let's say you're in a situation where you just absolutely know you are not going to be able to have a political conversation where you can contribute equally as the other person because they're just going to talk most of the time. And if you try to talk more, you're just going to end up yelling at each other and where you also know for sure that you're not changing their minds. So that sounds extraordinarily frustrating. But how can you benefit from this situation? Well, what if you approach that situation with a certain degree of curiosity? If you, if you know for sure that you aren't going to be able to change someone's mind, 
Might you still use the opportunity to your advantage to learn a little bit more, at least about why they are so intractable? Outrageous. Outrageous. Yes. Yeah, I mean, look, politics has always been, like, there's, there's never an end, right? It's never over. You don't just, like, strike the killing blow and go, like, ah, oh, yes, like, you know, utopia forever. The game keeps being played. And so if you're not going to be able to, like, make a move today... You know, what can you do? Well, one is, you know, if you if you like take interest in who someone is and why they care about what they care about and therefore like show you take seriously what they think, you've probably got a better chance in the long run of like getting them to have a real conversation with you rather than just rant. Right. Because, again, people rant because they're like it's this safe place of being angry and, and they don't have real conversations because they're afraid you know, being uncomfortable or being out in that wilderness. And so, you know, whereas like this ranting person, like probably has real conversations with someone somewhere and, and like you can become that person incrementally by listening, especially if they want to convince you, right? If, if they at some point decide like, oh, this person's listened enough, like that I can convince them, then like, guess what? You're going to have a real conversation in the future. So one, you know, even if you're a war fighting mind, this is kind of prepping the battlefield or this is, you know, this is this is like winning hearts and minds. Right. So that's one advantage. But then the other thing is, like, let's say, you know, you're never going to change the mind long run or you don't want to. But they're like 86. And it's like, look, forget it. Right. This is probably the last time they're voting. Let's be really, you know, just being really cynical. It gives you know what this does is it gives you an opportunity to learn more about the any workings of the frame of mind that you really disagree with. Right. And it's like, you might not be able to get them to shift positions, but you're gathering intelligence, right? You can walk away from the situation better informed than you were. And the more able to affect change later with people who are in their tribe. So because so often what you get from the other tribe are one in your own feed, you sort of get just like the worst of them, like the most outrageous examples possible. Um, or two, even from themselves, which you get are these like stupid memes or, you know, it's like that. Well, I won't bring up the example, but like you just uh, we bring them up all the time. Like someone shared some image on Facebook with some text and therefore and they're like, "Ooh, you know, checkmate other party. Gotcha. (laughs) Right. And like, that's all you see. And so you're just like, God, these guys are idiots. And when someone actually spends some time talking about something, when you've asked them some questions, and gotten them to open up, you start to understand them a lot better. You start to understand how they tick, what's driving them. And, and you're much better prepared in the future to be able to make your move. Whoa, 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 whoa. Eric, hold on. You're saying <laughs> that social media can make it difficult to understand nuance in a, in a position? Uh, yes. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, screaming is not going to get you anywhere. Again, maybe moral imperative aside where you absolutely need to be loud and vocal about something all the time. But if this is a person that you're just not going to change their mind, that doesn't mean that other people that think like them aren't necessarily more pliable or more open than this particular person is. And understanding about why they think the, the way they do is only going to prepare you better for the next person you, you run into. If you're going to sell someone on something, especially to try to get them to change what they think about something where their identity is wrapped up in it in an unexamined way, right? In a unstructured way, just a feeling way to get someone to part with that. It takes a lot and you've got to understand them on a very deep level, really deep. You got to understand them better than they know themselves. 
And if you're a curious person, this will at least be intellectually rewarding, right? To some extent, as the pursuit of a better understanding of reality is fulfilling for curious minds naturally. And this is true even if you really dislike the other person's position or think that they're totally in the wrong. So even just by listening, you, one, can choose to enjoy the experience, and two, can prepare yourself for the future. So reconsider it. That's maybe just a small taste of different types of strategies that you can try this week when you're meeting members of your extended family that sometimes create situations that are a little bit less comfortable than you would prefer. You can go the apolitical route. You could try to change their mind by finding shared values and going beneath just the rhetoric of the hot button issue. And you can try to approach it from a perspective of curiosity. If you just know that you're not going to change their mind, then you can still get something out of that experience. In addition to all of the delicious food, which I mean, let's not forget Thanksgiving dinners are full of delicious food. Indeed. So, hope you enjoy that episode and you're you're ready for your holiday. Yes, with that, dear listeners, grab a drumstick, put on your bib, crack those knuckles, undo those belts, and as always, don't let the pundits or your crazy family member do the thinking for you. Pause and reconsider. This is Eric Gobble Gobble. This is Xander Gobble Gobble. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.